It's another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Lots of ground to cover, Ron. We've had some inquiries from people listening to the podcast. We'll try to address those uh, in the upcoming episodes. But one of the basic fundamentals of what we set about to do here on making money is to try to give people an idea of how to go down the right path. And I think one of the probably, obviously, the rudimentary question is, how do you find somebody to look after your money if you're not going to do it yourself? Well, the first thing you want to do is get some good referrals. And I would start by talking to your accountant or talking to your lawyer because you know, everybody talks about how great they are if they're an athlete. Well, the best way to find out how someone how good someone is if they're an athlete is to talk to a statistician. They'll give you the raw numbers. And accountants and lawyers, they actually see the numbers of not how well someone says they did, but how well they actually did in practice. And so if you talk to your accountant and lawyer, and they've looked at hundreds of different portfolios, they'll be able to give you some advice on who's actually done well. So that's a great place to start. Also, go to your business contacts. Successful people deal with successful people. So if you know someone is successful, ask them who they deal with. And then finally, from your own contacts. We all have friends, and you know people that think like you do that are on the same wavelength as you are, and that helps because you want to have an advisor who is on your wavelength. And so if they can deal with a friend of yours who thinks like you do, they can probably deal with you. And that's, you know, we see television commercials and, and all that sort of thing that uh, that show up and people trying to get into this establishment of, of, a, of a relationship with somebody who is going to kind of help look after your future. So it's really important to get somebody you're comfortable with, correct? Absolutely. You've got to have someone who thinks like you do because, and we'll get into this shortly, but if you have someone who's not ethically on the same page, they're going to be recommending things to you that you might not like. Maybe you don't like defense stocks. Maybe you're very, very conscious of a company's environmental record. Maybe you don't want to be aggressive. Maybe you don't want uh, junior mining stocks. Maybe you don't want to play futures or options. You need to have someone who thinks like you do, who has the same risk tolerance as you do, or generally the relationship is not going to last and it's, it's going to be very, very dysfunctional. So in, in some cases, Ron, people who work for these investment firms, the firms specialize in certain areas, don't they? Is that something that's important as well? Absolutely. You're going to have firms that specialize in junior stocks. For example, there's firms that specialize in mining and in venture capital and marijuana stocks. I mean, if you want to know about marijuana stocks, you probably didn't want to go to a big bank because, frankly, when the marijuana industry was just starting, everybody was concerned about the legal aspects, and so they wouldn't go there. A specialized firm could give you advice where other firms couldn't. So depending on what you're looking for, finding a company that sort of specializes in those things, whether you want to do ethical investing, ETFs, or futures, or options, or juniors, or you just want a conservative portfolio, there's a whole array of investment talent out there. You just have to dig it out and find someone who's compatible for you. And do we have to look at what their background might be if they've ever been in any kind of lukewarm water or anything like that? Absolutely. Every securities administrator 
in that's a provincial regulator tracks companies performance as far as how close to the regulations they stay and if they get offside they're usually fined so often uh, people are taken out of the business because they're doing some egregious thing that's hurting investors and you can find out by going to your provincial regulator if the company that the inv individual advisor is working for has got a has had any recent fines any legal actions against them or penalties that are significant now there is a website too securityadministrators.ca and there's a there's a dash between security and administrators what's that website about that website will give you information, as we talked about, on the investment companies, whether there's been any legal action or fine or penalties, but the names of individual advisors. So if they've gotten into hot water and transgressed securities regulations, it's up there. If they've been fined, if they've had a regulatory, long regulatory history of problems, that is a good place to go to check people out. When you see someone who's bowled over by a great sales pitch, often they don't even check out the individual's background. And it's extraordinarily, especially if you're doing more aggressive investing, to check these people out because amazingly, sometimes you'll find they have a very checkered past. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, experience. I, I, I don't think you want to be sitting down. Well, I, I guess there's exceptions to every rule, but you don't want to be sitting down with somebody who it's his first week on the job or her first week on the job, and you're trying to get some sense of, of what their, their experience is. I mean, you have to have training, obviously, to be, to be licensed as an investment consultant. But what else do you look for? Do you look for somebody that's been around for a while and you have a way to check out their track record? There's an old saying in our business, if you want me to take my experience and your money and turn it into my money and your experience, <laughs> then go with someone who has no experience. And typically markets move in four to five year cycles. That's an economic cycle. And you want someone who's been around for one or two cycles because it's easy when everything is going up, everybody's a genius you actually find out how good the person is at picking things by watching the investments in a negative environment when things are going down because typically that is you'll see how well they stand up you know if you want to find out if something's been fireproofed hold it up to a fire if it starts to burn well it's probably not so good and typically investment investment advisors will learn from that experience so after one or two financial cycles, they learn not only what to do, but what not to do, what will really hurt uh, their clientele over the long term. So I like advisors that have had at least two market cycles or 10 years, so they get a chance to learn from their mistakes. A lot of investment people have model portfolios that they work. Well, they don't just work them, they actually have investments in those model portfolios. So it's, it's a chance for you to get a snapshot of what their, what their philosophy is, where they think that the opportunities in the market are. And you can see the performance of those model portfolios, correct? Exactly. So you want to see a model portfolio of how the advisor invests people's money. And it's easy to put up a model portfolio. So if you want to drill down and get a little more specific, ask for a copy of a typical client's portfolio 
and, and then ask for a client referral. So, you know, it's not hard to do these days. You print it off, you pull a name off of it, so there's confidentiality. But then you get a chance to take a look at what a typical client's portfolio looks like. And then you want to ask for basically returns for one, three, five, and hopefully 10 years. So you see not only what the portfolio looks like because it doesn't tell you what they invested in in the past and sold. You'll get that by looking at performance. And if performance is really bad, well, that's an indicator that maybe you want to steer clear. What about uh, asking the advisor what they invest in themselves? Like, where do you put your own money? That, that would, to me, that would be rule number one, I think. That is so, so important because when you ask an individual how they invest their own money, the proof's in the pudding. You know, you want a chef who eats his own cooking. And so typically they should be investing their money in the same way that they're investing your money. Because if they're putting their own money in it, they've got financial skin in the game. And financial skin in the game, as you say, is if not one of the most important, maybe even the most important thing you can ask when you're having an advisor interview. Okay, let's talk about something that this comes up, and it's been it's been in two or three of our episodes here on the on the uh, Making Money podcast about fees. That that's very important. Up front, you should know what this is going to cost you. Correct. You know, it's always amazing to me how that question doesn't seem to get asked. I've talked to thousands of investment in. Uh, clients over the years through this show and and through my own professional practice. And most of them, frankly, I'd say the majority of them don't even know what their costs are, what it's costing them to do business with these people. They've never bothered to ask. They think it's impolite to sit down and have a frank, candid conversation with, look, you're a great person, but how much is it going to cost me to do with you? You know, what are my costs? You know, they, whether monthly, are they annually, are there fees in the products I'm buying, how much do you charge if we're buying stocks and bonds, how much do you charge to buy, what do you charge to sell, do you have a management fee, all these things need to be cleared up and in writing before you move forward with documentation. Good advice right there, solid advice that you should really pay attention to. What about uh, your advisor... I know, like, for instance, you you were licensed to sell insurance, as an example, uh, in, in part of your practice. Is that something else you should be looking at? Is is what other services can you help me with? Like, are you a financial planner? Can you sit down and help me do a financial plan that we can use as a guidebook? Oh, the importance really starts with what services do you end up needing? If you want to do $9.99 or $2.99 a trade, then you want to go to a discount broker. But if you need help with financial planning, maybe estates, you've got a transition in a business, you need some tax advice, you need financial planning, estate planning, insurance, all those things, you're paying up for that professional advice. And so your fees are going to be higher if you're, if you're going to use all those services than if you aren't. But especially more sophisticated investors, they typically like to know exactly what suite of services come with it so you have an idea of what you're paying for and the more sophisticated advice you need obviously those fees are going to be higher 
All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, communication. There's a, there's a television commercial that's running about somebody meeting, and you, oh, but you won't get my expert advice. And You mean that 10 minutes you give us every year? What about communication? How often should you be talking to this person, or how often should you expect them to be contacting you with updates? Well, I think communication comes in a lot of forms. So first of all, you're going to have administrative communication. So the individual that you're dealing with should have someone that you can call if you, your daughter's going to university and you need money to pay for tuition for the first semester, you decide to buy a car. You have, should have a person that you can talk to that'll handle just the physical transactions or you're making an RSP contribution or a spousal contribution or, or any of the financial nitty-gritty that you need that you need done that they'll this, take care this of. It's like an administrative assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. You need you're going to need someone who has got a good administrative assistant because if they foul things up on a regular basis, it's going to make the relationship, even if you've got a good one with your advisor, it's going to make it a little bit more tenuous. Also, most advisors put out newsletters. And so these days, to be able to get on their newsletter, you need to, because of all the privacy legislation that's come through, you need to actually tell them and fill out a form saying, I'm willing to get communications from you to be able to get their, their email communication and newsletters and things like that. Then generally you're looking at phone calls. And so if there's anything significant in the market, they should either be calling you or you should have an arrangement where you call them at your convenience and set up a time, even for a phone interview. So, you know, when I was in the industry, if somebody wanted to know what was going on in their portfolio, and often they were out of town or they were vacationing in Hawaii, we'd set up a time for a phone interview, maybe 10 or 15 minutes where we'd review things if you have questions. And then finally, you should have generally at least an annual meeting. So this meeting, for me, most of my annual meetings took 45 minutes to about an hour and a half. So we not only reviewed all of the issues that you had, but we took a look at, you know, what does your year ahead looks like? Are you going to need some money? Um, has your view changed? Are you getting more conservative? Are you going to have specific liquidity needs? You know, you're going to buy yourself a new Maserati or something. So you end up having taking notes and writing all this stuff down so you have a good idea of what the client's needs are for the year. So you should be able to have quarterly phone calls, annual meetings, newsletters, and a good assistant that anytime you've got a problem, you ask. So one of the things that when you talked about this introduction and getting to know each other and feeling each other out, risk aversion is, is a big key here. That's obviously a fundamental point here. How much risk do you want to take, and is your advisor somewhat of a riskier nature? Then that's not a good fit. You want to have someone whose values and and risk tolerance is lined up with yours, because it's it's easy to do what we call style drift, where a person comes in and you feel comfortable with them at the beginning, but as markets go up, they start chasing performance and they get more and more and more aggressive. So. You want to, that's why you want to ask the question, how are you going to protect me when things go down? It's great investing in all these wonderful ideas when markets are going up, 
But when market's going down and you're a lot more aggressive in your portfolio, you're taking on a lot more risk. So it's important to ask the question, how are you going to take care of me when markets are going down? And how are you going to protect me from portfolio loss of 50% or more like we saw in the 2000 meltdown and the 2007 to 2009 meltdown? So I think the really the key here is communication, is it not? Right off the get-go, is, is somebody you're comfortable to sit down and talk with? Absolutely. If you're, if you're having a struggle with your conversation, if you've had a meeting with them for an hour and you just can't wait to get out of there, frankly, the relationship probably isn't going to work. Now, just a reminder, make sure you write down your questions before you go into the meeting because often, if you don't write them down, you'll forget half of them. Or as you get older, maybe you'll forget three quarters of them. <laughs> That's or right. Maybe, maybe you forget all of them. <laughs> That's right. So write them down before you go in. So you and write down the answers so that after you leave the interview, you can go back and and review everything to make sure that this is a good fit. Because you don't want to be doing this often. You don't want to be jumping from one place to another. Because if you do, you're going to end up having to transfer. They're going to have to sell things. They're going to have to rejig the portfolio uh, along a new alignment vector. So you want to make sure that you're doing this very, very seldom. And that requires putting in more work up front before you pull the trigger. Okay, so before we leave from this episode, we did say that if you do have questions, you can uh, contact us through the Making Money website at cfcw.com and we got a question we want to address here that came to us from a listener uh, by the name of Guido. Hello Ron and Gord, congrats for the new show. I have a question in regards to the Mauer funds. I'm aware that the funds have changed owners. Do you think this is still a good hold? Uh, please advise. Let me give you some general advice rather than specific advice because Mauer is a very good shop they're one of the best mutual fund families historically in Canada with great returns and good controls over risk. But it involves a bigger picture. If you go back and look at historically, there's many times where the iconic manager has left the scene. Well, Templeton Funds comes to mind. Yeah, Templeton Swag funds, Marty Wickman, the Third Avenue funds, the Trimark funds. The list goes on and on of, of iconic people who made the fund company or the management group what they were. And often, when a fund changes hands, the original management people take off. And if they do, and they bring in a whole new crew, typically what happens is that these portfolios have to realign themselves to the vision of the new manager because managers don't want to come in and inherit somebody else's investment strategy or problems. They clean out the portfolio, they put things that they like and they think will do well into the portfolios. Now, this can take time. It can take months. Sometimes it can even take years for this to happen. So you've got to be paying attention to your returns and you want to get in there when they send out information and dig right into it and look at exactly how much portfolio turnover has happened. Usually you'll get a, an update quarterly from these people and you can go online to their website and they'll give you their biggest positions and what's changed. They'll give you market commentaries. And so, you know, if you see things that are turned upside down, and when you're reading the commentaries, it's a completely different approach to the approach that was had before 
that's the time you want to start thinking about packing your bags. That's when the red flags go up. All right, well, you can catch Ron's advice twice daily, weekdays on CFCW with his uh, Money Minutes. And, of course, you can reach us, as we said here, on Making Money at the CFCW website, cfcw.com, if you have any questions, and we'll certainly try to address them. We talked today about how to look for an investment advisor, Next thing we're going to do is, once you have that investment advisor, what's your strategy moving forward? What kinds of investments are you looking for? We'll be back to talk about that in our next episode. Thanks for listening. It's the Money Minute and Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us.